Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. You've probably noticed by now that most of these interviews are being done solo. Uh, this show started out with a couple of hosts, um, but due to uh, scheduling and jobs and family and different things, uh, it's you're just left with me. So um, going forward, this is going to be uh, uh, interviews with just myself and whoever the guest is. Um, that's been the easiest uh, way for us to navigate uh, this transition uh, in our podcast. Um, I hope in the future to have a co-host, but given the transitions plus the pandemic and how hard scheduling is within that, um, I've decided going forward to just reserve uh, this podcast just uh, just with me uh, for now. Um, but hopefully that won't uh, stay that way forever. Um, all right, so today we have Jennifer Cruz and Emily Johnson. They both work for the Economic Opportunity Commission, uh, which is uh, basically a commission created uh, to create, uh, create opportunities to support people uh, and help them flourish in our city. Um, and they specifically work with uh, LGBTQ individuals, uh, creating uh, support um, opportunities as well as safe spaces, um, you know, support virtually these days, um, and much, much more. Um, they were awesome to talk to. I am so excited to, um, for you guys to get to know them um, and listen to their perspectives. Uh, it's a very important perspective and something that I haven't heard talked about a lot. When I was looking for someone to talk about LGBTQ issues, I had a really hard time uh, finding uh, individuals. I mean, there's a couple resource centers that I've seen on Instagram and different accounts, but it's uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a desert out there um, in terms of institutional support uh, for that community uh, beyond uh, the you know annual pride parade, which is not really support. I mean, it's an event, but it's not it's not that day to day support that people need. So. Um, there's a lot to learn in this episode, and they were great to talk to, and I hope you enjoy it. Ooh, look at that. Okay, I hit the record button. Um, so, uh, Emily and Jennifer, where do you two like to eat in Fresno when we're not when we're not under these conditions of of takeout and staying at home? Is it Fresno County or the city of Fresno? You know, it can be. You know, I I feel like Fresno is a nebulous concept. I mean, I feel like the borders and boundaries don't really have clear. And so, as long as it's within driving distance of say Blackstone, we'll make right. that our central marker. So I live uh, like southeastish Fresno. So we like to, my kids love Mexican food. And one of our favorite spots is Velasco's and Sanger, which is about a 15 minute drive down the 180 for us. So we really enjoy that spot. And our family owned. So it's pretty good. What do you get when you go there? Uh, I'm really traditionalist with my Mexican food because my grandma. So it's usually a taco with shredded beef, an enchilada with chicken, and then rice and beans. Okay. And so they just do it exceptionally well at this place. Their sauce is brilliant. Their beans are amazing. So, yeah. Perfect. I recommend. What about you, Emily? Um, my favorite place to eat in Fresno is Gem of Thailand. And it's at Blackstone and Herndon. And they've been closed during the entire pandemic. So I go on and I check and they're still not open. So, um, oh. yeah. But well, it's, it's good. 
you know, I've been, I've been wanting to know what the good tie spots are. Cause I really haven't ventured. And I've talked about this previously. I kind of make, I've make, made my way through um, almost every Indian food place in town. Cause that's kind of my shtick. And, uh-huh. um, but yeah, Thai food. And I was really encouraged recently to like try a lot more Lao food because mm-hmm. I really haven't gone down that road. And I, to be honest, I was kind of ignorant of it um, as an option. Um, but what do you like to get at uh, gym of Thailand? Um, so my go-to at any Thai restaurant is Pad Siu. And it's these large noodles and it's got broccoli and carrots and onions, uh, amazing sauce. Um, they also have a uh, panyang curry. It's a red curry. Um, so sometimes I'll get that with chicken, but I've been kind of going back to eating vegetarian. So they, they do a good fried tofu and I appreciate that. Um, I've been to almost every Thai restaurant in Fresno and Gem of Thailand is my number one spot. That's good. And I, you know, I, I mainly stick to the curries, but I'm always looking for an excuse to expand out of that because I feel like that's the whitest thing I do is just like green curry, yellow curry, red curry, and I just yeah. kind of cycle through them. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely looking for uh, options. So, so pad suey, huh? I think I might have lost you guys for a second. Shoot. Sorry, I'm on school internet, so it will occasionally go. I hate you. Um, so, um, let's it's talk. Very convenient for teaching class. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, they're they've done their best. School districts have definitely done their best, and it's not an easy challenge to suddenly transform an industry overnight. Um, you know, at least with food on the food subject, like there is a takeout mechanism that a lot of places understand, but like delivering online instruction to six-year-olds, like (laughs) good luck. Um, Mm -hmm. But let's talk for a minute about um, what the Economic Opportunity Commission is and how that's related to uh, what you guys do, um, what you two do, and uh, just kind of share with maybe the audience what, uh, what the relationship is between the support mechanisms that you work with and then uh, the broader mission of the commission? So Fresno EOC is a very large nonprofit organization. Uh, It's been around since 1965. It was a community action agency. So in the business of bringing support services and tools to marginalized communities in Fresno County um, to get people on their feet or to help them in times of need or to, um, you know, provide assistance to low-income families in an array of different services. Um, We do have a Head Start program, a WIC program, um, the Valley Apprenticeship Connections and Employment and Training Department, um, and Sanctuary and Support Services is one of the umbrellas under the giant EOC canopy. And so Sanctuary and Support Services has, the the most well-known is the Youth Sanctuary, So it's for runaways runaways or at-risk youth. Um, And then we also have a transitional age shelter up to 24. And then uh, EOC also does housing, permanent supportive housing for documented, disabled, and chronically homeless. Um, Under that umbrella, you will also find our friends over at Central Valley Against Human Trafficking. And you have the LGBTQ plus resource center, which is what Emily and I do. So I'm the program manager for the resource center. Emily's our outreach coordinator, basically my right hand and keeps me uh, technologically savvy in all of our social media and such things. 
Um, so, and the services that we've only been open in our permanent space. Well, we started in a temporary space last May um, with support groups in person, peer support style groups for 18 and over, 17 and under. We had a disabled and fabulous group going um, for LGBTQ with that intersection of differently abled folks. Um, and we also had, we were trying to start some other intersections, but um, we got into the permanent space in October, March, everything started going really well because we were really growing the fun of Paloozas, uh, the third Friday of every month. We were an art hop venue where we were getting a ton of traffic. We had a DJ on the sidewalk in February. And then in March, we had a shutdown for the global pandemic. So we are working to, we have a couple new projects starting that we have to figure out how to get going virtually. So it sounds like a challenge to, you know, be a support to a community, but you're, you know, you're separated from that community in a lot of ways. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I spend my first couple of weeks really building rapport with students. And uh, when I am, you know, when they're in their dark bedrooms <laughs> with the lights barely lit, you know, there's only so much rapport you can build with a shade. Uh, so, you know, it's, yeah, I, I imagine that, um, you know, what you're talking about, I mean, some of these different services, they're, they're physical in person, you know, I, I'm married to a psychologist, so I know um, what she's been doing. And for her, building that, that physical connection is important. And to not have that with people makes it a challenge. Um, so I, um, I just want to talk about some of the unique challenges uh, that LGBTQ folks in the Central Valley uh, deal with. I mean, I know that uh, there are universal challenges, um, but there's probably some regional challenges. Um, we live in a very kind of conservative part of the state. Um, I grew up here. I know the attitudes. Um, I know that, uh, especially for kids, uh, it can be an extreme challenge uh, being in some of the schools around here. And so if you'd both just kind of speak to the uh, some of those unique challenges that um, maybe aren't, maybe aren't uh, readily, readily uh, observable uh, by the broader community. Emily, you wanna go first since I talked first the last time? Uh, sure. <laughs> or I can go yeah. and you follow up. Usually, usually uh, it's Jen that goes first and then I like fill in all the blanks. Um, yeah. But I we think- can do that. Yeah, let's do that. Let's see okay. what you come up with. There you go, perfect. <laughs> I, I like this dynamic, this is great. Yeah. So um, as far as being, you know, uh, Central Valley located, the reason that the LGBTQ Resource Center was born, basically, it was out of the inclusion team of Fresno EOC. They realized that we had no community center in Fresno as of late 2017 when it closed down. And there was really nothing in the Central Valley or in Fresno, you know, fifth largest city in California, there was no community center. Um, and what I understand about that, it was because of lack of volunteers, not necessarily a lack of funding. Um, they were some of the first people I got in touch with when we were going to open was to find out what happened and what they were doing and how we could, you know, use their model and grow that. And they're very, very helpful. Um, so it was, you know, born out of a need in Fresno. But if you look around just Central Valley in general, the closest community center to us is, and it's a great center, it's the one in Visalia, which is uh, the source, but that's like the closest thing, I think from Merced all the way to Bakersfield that I know of. Um, 
when we opened last year, uh, now there's a couple of us in Fresno. There's another small resource center operating the Spectrum Center opened last August. So they do some cool things too. You'll see their uh, drag story hour and things like that online. Um, they were open in person too, but I believe they've, they're virtual now or by appointment only, which is kind of where we're all at. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, the, the conservative nature, and if you go a little further north, you have Madera, which is I hear even more conservative than the city of Fresno. Um, and then south too, you have like, you know, Selma, Visalia. So um, being in that environment and for our youth to not have any kind of support outside of the schools. And I know the schools have made an effort to do like GSA clubs and things like that. But from what I understand, that's like a once a month meeting during lunch hour or something. And we all know how willing teenagers are to give up their lunch hour. So, so the goal was to provide that safe space. We have, you know, before the pandemic, a drop-in space for people to hang out. Um, they could get food, they could watch TV, they could color. They could read books, um, play games. So we had a whole section for that, and we still do. It's just not open to the public currently, um, as long as we're on the watch list. But um, yeah, and then also provide the peer support groups and and some other things coming soon. So. So so you see some of the unique challenges as like a, a lack of an infrastructure that say, you know, a city like San Francisco, for example, has a like a, a deep history of providing services specifically f for certain types of people that need that. Yeah. Um, is well, that, is that kind of. Francisco and some of the bigger spots you'll find, um, you know, coffee spots or um, bookstores that are specific to that population. Um, in Fresno, basically the place that you can go to find a group of LGBTQ people is a bar because it's an LGBT, it's like a gay bar. And yeah. there's none of those other spaces that don't include um, dancing and drinking, which is fun, but also our uh, community is disproportionately impacted by substance use disorder. So to have other spaces open for the people to gather is important. And that was yeah, because I guess not, not everyone, not everyone in that community necessarily drinks and goes to bars. I mean, that's the, that's the, the, the kind of assumption, because that's what people think about, like, where, you know, where do you go in a town to find gay people you go to a bar or something yeah. Yeah. um and we you know everyone knows about fab but like i i think that you know it's very a one shade picture of very complex people right for those under 21 they don't really have anywhere to go unless right. they break the law and get a fake id and we don't want to encourage that so okay yeah and i think another like there's i think there's so many issues that affect you know like the queer quality of life in the Central Valley. But um, I think you just mentioned it earlier, Jordan, as like this lack of infrastructure that is supportive, that helps uplift the community. Um, and I think just given the conservative nature of the Central Valley, like we're just, there's always gonna be hurdles, you know, because there's always gonna be kickback. Um, and I think Fresno too has just this long standing history of socioeconomic inequalities and even redlining. And like one thing that we provide at the center is um, bus passes for folks, like if they need to get to the center, if they need to, to go somewhere. And, you know, you think of like larger cities that have 
you know, like San Francisco, Sacramento, San Diego, and they have like access to get to the places that you need to go. And especially for kids too, you know, you think of like a 14 or 15 year old who has um, unsupportive parents at home and they want to go connect with other queer people, they're not gonna be able to say like, hey mom, can you go drop me off at the LGBTQ resource center, <laughs> yeah, you know? Course. And so it creates, like it creates a lot of isolation and then isolation compounded with mental health and a lack of mental health um, access. Like it's just, you know, I mean, you can look at every area and see how those intersections impact um, queer kids and, and especially queer kids of color um, disproportionately. Um, and it, it really sucks. Um, you know, but that's, you know, one of the things um, we, uh, I was on a, I've done so much on my computer since the pandemic, but one webinar that I went to, um, it was with Equality California, and I think it was with Point Source Youth, um, which is a, a shameless plug for your followers to follow them, but. Um, I'll put they, the link in the show notes. They talked about, um they talked about accessing kids in rural areas. So like we have Fresno, which is the fifth largest city in California, as Jen mentioned, but then we have all these like smaller areas around Fresno. And like you talk about lack of access in Fresno, think about the people that are in these smaller, really small areas. Um, and one thing that they talked about, which you know kind of piqued my interest was rural areas are going to have not only a lack of, of access to resources, but a lack of access to technology too. So faster broadband service, like fiber internet is not non-existent. Um, so that impacts people, you know, now with the pandemic, you know, kids aren't able to hop on a Zoom call or a webinar because they don't have the bandwidth or they don't have phones that are able to connect. So it's just, you know, it's really, it, this pandemic has really heightened a lot of these issues and they're all just like they're um you know like little whack-a-moles um popping up every once in a while but you know we're doing the best that we can online to like help spread that word so people know like our phone number people can call or text us too you know they don't have to do like a zoom meeting um so yeah, yeah i think i mean if you're if you're alone in kerman with no internet uh, you know, trying to be out in Kerman by yourself. Like, I can't even imagine what that would be like. I mean, it just sounds horrifying to be alone in Kerman, um, you know, or wherever. Um, right. So, I, yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine. And I, I, I guess my follow-up question to both of those answers would be, how do you, how do you manage, because I'm sure you've had interactions with unsupportive parents. Like, how, how do you manage that? Because that, because for me, that seems like the biggest challenge. And I've, uh, you know, so there's there's a some books that have come out recently around the trans issue and like parents and like authority and decision making and it seems like all of these issues are so complicated. So when you've had unsupportive parents, have you both had to deal with that or um, how have you how have you thought about it philosophically? Like, what's the right move here in supporting the child who clearly you know needs help, but also the parent who's legally you know a guardian over them? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So the complicated, one of the most complicated parts of working with youth under the age of 18, of course, is going to be that if the parent doesn't want to allow them to attend, a, you know, a queer support group with, you know, to 
for their own mental health and, and um, support, then we can't force that, you know. Um, we, we have had youth that will, they'll be in a club after school that would show up to our in-person youth group, which that's great for them, you know. But we've also had an experience in the past where one of the youth's parents found out and like basically banned them from doing that. And so then they're, you know, left to themselves, isolated, unsupportive parents. And I think eventually, you know, you end up with suicidal ideations. And, and I think they ended up having to go somewhere because they were so sad and depressed and just, you know, um, our goal is, of course, to make sure that our youth don't get there. Um, and if we can sit with parents and have a conversation or offer them support as well, because, we're, you know, I've connected with the PFLAG group here in town um, to get them the resources to maybe try and help them through that transition of finding out, you know, their kid identifies as queer on, on some level and how they can be supportive if they're willing. Um, we have talked too about starting something in center for maybe the parents of those kids. There's a really great um, organization up in Oakland called Somas Familia, and they work with uh, LGBTQ youth family and the youth as well. But um, it's a, a Latinx based um, type thing because when you mix in then culture and religion, you have a bunch of other issues for families in accepting their, you know, LGBTQ youth. So they work with those those families to one help them understand and then get them some support and hope that they can get the, the family supporting that youth so they don't end up in those dire circumstances I mentioned earlier. Yeah, it seems like runaway runaway or what you're talking about, suicidal ideation. That seems like the logical conclusion from you know, you know, your parents finding out and feeling like, especially when you're a teenager and like, you know, everything's the end of the world, like that, that, oh my God, like that, I'm sure uh, would just be world shattering. Um, I'm curious, uh, this is not what a question we talked about at the beginning, but um, have, have, have there been uh, support groups uh, or support from different religious groups in town? Uh, have more progressive churches, um, different religious groups been supportive of what what you're trying we to accomplish? Do, we do have a list of some of the churches around town that are op open and affirming, you know, um, Big Red Church down by Fresno High. It's, uh, what's it called, Emily? Congregational something? Oh, yeah. I, I just noticed the Big, the big Red Church, Church, the uh, BRC. Yeah. I think they're UCC, United something or something like that. I think that's a different one. Those ones are further north. The okay. United Utilitarian, that's up north Fresno. Uh, Big Red Church is by Fresno High School. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Wesley's United Methodist is here in town over by Fresno State. So there's a few that, like, if people are asking, hey, is there a church that would be open to my lifestyle, then we make sure that they have a variety to choose from so they can check those out. Okay. Um, so maybe let's transition to talking a little bit about um, pride. Um, so I've only been to a couple. I mean, I, you know, I, I moved away. So <laughs> I, I grew up in Bakersfield for the most part and then went to school at San Francisco state, um, and just had my world exploded open, um, going to my, you know, going to my first, you know, Folsom street fair, going to my first pride parade. It, you know, same, it's, same. I had a similar experience growing up in Fresno to my first pride when I was 19. It's like culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I've been to the Fresno one and it's, it's great. I mean, I love it. And I, what, what, what 
how do what kind of role does that serve in the community here in Fresno, the Pride Parade? Is it is it something that's kind of like a binder uh, for for different groups in town? I'd say it definitely operates to bring everyone together on that first Saturday of June for sure. Um, it's something that we've been participating in for um, even before the center was open. Actually, EOC had a float in the parade. Um, I think starting in 2018. Um, but you know, they also do that fair, the the festival out after the fact, and you got a bunch of booths with resources and things out out there, which is great for bringing people together and then showing them like all the different resources. I think when I was out there because we, we were running a resource center, when I was out there two uh, a year ago. I was able to like find there was booths with mental health professionals that are like, here's my card. We're, you know, open and affirming counseling. So um, those types of services can be out there at a table and, and be showing the community who's all gathered in one spot, like what's available um, to them in our, in our town and collect those types of resources and information. Yeah. I my think thoughts on Fresno Pride too. Um, and I, I worked for a, um, I worked for a, another gay organization, as I like to call it, um, years ago, but they were based out of Atlanta. And so I had like the honor of going, I've been to Prides all over California, um, but I had the honor of going to Pride in Atlanta. And that was by far like the coolest thing I've ever been to. And the unique thing about that is Atlanta hosts their Pride um, in October because it's so hot and humid during the summer. And I've always been like, man, like it's like a hundred degrees in Fresno and like we still turn up because it's important. Um, but I've always wondered like what would happen if Fresno Pride changed it to a month where it's slightly cooler? I would imagine that we'd see like twice as many people out. Yeah. So similar to Similar to like uh, the Fresno Marathon, probably think about uh, seasons a little bit. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I, um, yeah, for me, it was just, it was just like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like pride, at least when I experienced it for the real first time, it was like putting on a different set of glasses or something. You're just kind of seeing the world differently almost because you feel like people are hidden. And then suddenly for like one moment, like things are almost like, I, this is a weird way to phrase it, almost like a really positive, like the movie Purge, but like in a really positive way. So not like the rules are all lost, but like like everyone can finally come out and like like almost like a peacock that's been hiding feathers. Um, mm -hmm. And so for me, like that was, that, was such a, that was such a cool experience to really feel like a whole city loved it. And it was, it was everyone's day. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. I, I just kind of want it. I want it to go all the way from Olive, all the way up Friant, you know, like we, we should just go all the way up Friant, <laughs> all the way to Clovis North and go all the way to that side of town. Cause I, you know, I, it's just such, it's, I, you know, it's, a, it was such an important event for me, but um, I don't want to stop there for now. I, uh, I do want to talk about uh, trans issues at Fresno State. And I know this is kind of in flux a little bit, right? Because there's, I don't know how many students are actually on campus, in campus on campus housing, but um, you, your organization has been working around trans issues at Fresno State. What's, what's going on? Is it, um, what are some of the issues that uh, are coming up? Uh, we've been working in collaboration with Fresno State on a trans healthcare initiative, uh, not necessarily the trans students on campus, um, from what I understand, they have a 
pretty decent um, support system there. And I know that the cross-cultural and gender center on campus is a really great resource for any LGBTQ students. Um, but we were working with um, basically the women's studies department um, to do a bit, like a data collection on a health survey for, and we, and we left it broad as LGBTQ um, so we could get an idea of if people are getting the healthcare that they need here in Fresno. Um, but specifically in the next, um, we're going to do a re-release of that because it got interrupted by a pandemic, but we're going to re-release that and focus in on the non-binary and trans folks in Fresno um, to try and see, because what we hear is and what we know is that most of the time they have to travel for whatever type of health services they're looking for, with the exception of people who've been um, lucky enough to get through that wait list with Dr. Julie Nicole, who does most of the trans health care here in Fresno. Um, so we want to really get a grasp on what that looks like, um, because many, many trans people don't necessarily have a bunch of savings for travel and hotel and all the other things to go along with the medical expenses um, for services that they need. Um, so the plan was to do that and then get city council to agree that this is an important issue. And then after that, get healthcare providers in our area to agree that it's an important issue and train in that area so that they can start providing some of these services rather than people having to be on a wait list for a long time here in Fresno or travel to get what they need. So that that's how we're working with Fresno State um, in regard to trans issues and it's specifically around trans health care. So within the broader community, uh, where, where are the obstacles? Are the obstacles with specific doctors? Are the obstacles, obstacles with the insurance plans that maybe don't cover things? Like what, both. what are both? Okay. And so, so it's, it's unsupportive doctors and then it's uh, healthcare that's maybe saying it's not, uh, what's the word, necessary or something? Or something? So the law, the law in California is that it's supposed to be a covered expense. I think even Medi-Cal, you're supposed to be able to get what you need. Unfortunately, when you get on a local level, it's difficult to find a healthcare provider that one accept, is accepting Medi-Cal patients, right? And that's for everybody across the board, not just right. for uh, trans people who are looking for that type of service, but then also um, to find somebody who's accepting Medi-Cal patients or private insurance that is also competent in trans healthcare and affirming, right? So competence, one thing like they know how to prescribe in regard to like hormone replacement therapy, but also are they going to be, um, you know, affirming and like knowledgeable about how to work with the LGBT community, specifically trans clients? It's, it's baffling to me. I mean, we have an enormous city. Like it's baffling to me that there's not more providers in, okay. I mean, I mean, do you, do you ascribe that to culture? Do you ascribe that to just, you know, the kind of politics of our area or is it, what 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 do you what do you see as the source of that? I think that might be an answer that's both also you know you know conservative like not maybe not necessarily um, a priority for healthcare providers to learn those things because they don't have to deal with that on a regular basis, and then also I I think for and I don't want to speak for the trans community but what I've heard and understand from them is that. Um, you know, oftentimes there's like this whole process that happens, one coming out to family, and then often they lose their family support. Um, often they're living, you know, paycheck to paycheck and can't necessarily afford the travel time. Um, and so 
for them to go through this process, and a lot of times they don't get the acceptance ever from the family, um, and then also be fighting with insurance companies and doctors to get the things that they need. You can imagine it might be very overwhelming, and that's the sense that I get from when I hear stories of like years long um, trials of like trying to get what they need and then having doctors that don't know what they're doing or don't care to learn the new whatever it is here in Fresno because it's just not a priority, you know. And I think now, I mean, it was going to be one of our goals to get out to the healthcare professionals and ask them to train in these areas, just starting online, you know. And then moving forward, maybe something even bigger like a conference here in Fresno where LA and San Francisco and San Diego, Diego doctors come together to teach um, healthcare professionals. But um, Right now with the pandemic going on, I imagine that's going to be low on the priority list currently anyway. But as we move forward, we hope to see, you know, at least healthcare providers that will go online and do some training um, that the doctor that does all of the healthcare here in Fresno for the trans community says there's some good online resources that, where they can learn simple stuff like hormone replacement therapy so people don't have to wait on a waiting list or travel to get to get that. And I do understand that some primary care physicians have gone that, you know, been able to do that if they have patients they've been working with for years who are now coming out and want that. So if they, if they want to learn it, they can. It's just really a matter of, um, you know, it being a priority and then them taking the time to learn those things. Yeah. So it seems, it seems like these are things that are all kind of like a a vicious cycle, right? So if the community is supporting people in seeking out these uh, treatments, then, right, like the, the medical providers are going to respond. I mean, they're, you know, they're a market, right? Um, and, but if the community is, you know, trying to either silence or shame people away from this, then the providers aren't going to be keen to to provide the service. So it seems like it all comes back to people in the community and, and uh, you know, showing and, and support, right? Right, right. And I think the, like, the more we have discussions like this and, like, put them out there, like, if you Google on the Fresno Bee website, like, LGBTQ, there's, like, nothing on there. Um, and uh, I don't know if that's an oversight on their part, um, but it's, like, it's almost my feeling is it's almost kind of like people don't really know how to talk about this, you know, or they don't know where to start. Um, and I think just even having conversations like Jen was on radio a few weeks ago. Um, she and I did a podcast a couple weeks ago too. And I think it's just really important that people continue to have these discussions. So it becomes relevant to our community. Um, and we do get calls from people like, you know, it's like the more we grow, the more there are all of these areas that we really need to be paying attention to, um, which is exciting for us. That keeps us busy. You know, there's, um, I don't, you know, it's, it's important that we stay busy working on these areas, but we get calls from people like, where can I find a gay friendly attorney? Where can I find a gay friendly therapist? Where can I find a gay friendly doctor? And, you know, like really important services that people are looking for. And yes, we have, you know, a short list of, of doctors and attorneys, but it's something that has to continue growing in order for the community to, to feel safe. And that's what we want. Ultimately, you know, you don't want to live somewhere where you don't feel safe. Um, 
So that's, you know, that's why we're here. And that's why we're continuing to build even despite the pandemic, there's still a lot of networking that we've been able to do virtually because we're not, um, you know, we're able to just have a zoom call, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. not meet in person. So yeah. Well, and I, I think, I mean, talking about the Fresno Bee, like story, there are stories out there. They just haven't been written because someone's not telling someone to write them, right? Right. Um, and I, I, I mean, I had a hard time even finding, <laughs> finding uh, the work that you two do uh, when I was looking for someone to have on to this show to talk about these issues. I was like, where the hell do I look? I mean, I was on Instagram. I was even like scrolling through TikTok trying to find something. And, you know, it's like it, it just felt like there, there's no way that it's that there's not things out there. There shouldn't be. I mean, there's 500 fucking thousand people here like right like there there should be things but there wasn't and it yeah i just didn't understand and i yeah i mean i think you know you could blame things like the subscriber base of the fresno b or you know uh different constituencies that are controlling the information and how it's spread but ultimately i think it's the responsibility of supportive people to spread the information right i mean ultimately yeah, it's absolutely. on on people like you know me or whatever and i work in like my version of kerman is chowchilla where i work um you know and i i i see i see the lack of uh, support here um and you know it's hard to know what to do and um other than just have a voice in meetings and with people that are in charge and say something so well, and a lot of the time too, like I feel, you know, just paying attention to news and I have a, a media and communication, um, communications background, but like you find that people cover like the, they cover, pride gets covered, you know, and that's like the one thing. So if you think of, you think of, you know, 71 year old, you know, George, you know, who's like, watching the news or reading the bee, like his only exposure to the queer community is going to be pride. And like, there's no, absolutely nothing wrong with that, but it's like, you need to humanize the community a lot more than just be like, Oh, here they are. Like once a year having their fun party like, with rainbow wings. Right. And like, I know people are always, you know, there's kind of like this ongoing joke about like pride is like, everyone just like is, you know, naked and like very minimal clothes. And like, that's one of the things that I love about it. Um, but that's not what the community is. You know, the community right. is stories of families like rejecting their kids and their kids don't have anywhere to go. And it's the stories of like, people can't get to, you know, San Francisco because they have to work this job like Monday through Saturday that doesn't support time off. And like all of those things compounded. Um, and I just, I think any exposure um, that people can bring, even the fact that you're doing this podcast right now is super awesome. Like these are the conversations that need to continue happening. And, and until we get to, you know, a lot more of the larger news outlets in Fresno on a continual basis, um, people, people won't know where to turn, you know? Um, so hopefully if any of your listeners are, friends or allies of queer folks in Fresno, they'll, you know, share our information and continue to have those conversations with their friends as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, reducing, reducing the community to pride is like, 
saying reducing the black community to like a hip hop festival, you know, it's just, it's, it's, well, in that case, it's, 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 there's a racial element to it, you know, kind right. of like a inter, this is entertainment. And then in terms of the gay community, right. It's a sexualizing element in a lot of ways, right. right. Like reducing people to these like, you know, naked partying images that they have in their head of what the gay community was. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I, um, I don't want to pretend like I'm doing something great here. Ultimately, I just want you guys to talk. Um, that's my goal here. And um, so to kind of close, I, I do want to um, give you both the opportunity to share. Uh, maybe I, I like to end with books because, you know, I, I consider podcasts like snack food and books like salads or, uh, you know, like a nice, good, like kale smoothie or something, you know, something that, uh, you know, really, uh, will cause people to dig deeper. So do you have any books or like media resources or whatever that you think people should read that maybe are not as knowledgeable about these issues? Good question. <laughs> um, Take your time. Jen, what do you think? I was going to let you rattle off all the books you read. Yeah, rattle off well, all the books you read. I love talking about books. Well, I don't have a, a bunch of reading time. And most recently, actually before, right when we shut everything down, I personally had started reading books about uh, racial equality and equity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, before all, you know, the, the world began to protest some of the things currently happening. And the reason I did that was because we work in, you know, with the LGBTQ community, but also... I see a lot of those intersections of like our clients who are black and queer, or um, we have a ton of, you know, Latinx uh, community here in Fresno. And there's that intersection with, you know, queer and Latinx either, um, you know, just folks that are having those struggles based on, you know, not just the gay element or the queer element, but also their their background and, and ethnicities and race. So I had actually, I had a little jump on the rest of the world um, on, you know, how to be an anti-racist. And so you want to talk about race and white fragility. Um, so I had them all before they started selling out because of the uproar in our nation. So some of the things that I've been looking at, um, there were, I can't recall the titles now, but when my kids were young, because I have two sons that are adopted brothers, um, there was some books about, um, like adoption and then like how our family's different because you know they have not a mom and a dad um i right. can't remember the titles of those but they're for younger kids you know so that they can understand um as they start meeting other kids that their family was different you know and built on adoption and um, um that they're not weirdos that there are other families like ours you know absolutely yeah. Me and White Fragility is another um, book that uh, I think a lot of folks should read. Um, anyway, um, and my my book recommendations, like I um, I do read quite. I've ordered so many books over the last six months, but um, I do appreciate. I just finished a book um, by. It's called The Map of Salt and Stars. Um, and their last name is, uh, I, I'm probably going to butcher it, but their first name is Zane. Um, their last name is Jakotar. Um, I might be butchering that, so I feel bad, but I just finished reading that book and uh, that was amazing. Um, Cantoris, um, by, uh, Carolina de Robertis. Um, 
that was another book that I've read. And I, I try to read like queer authors or queer stories too. Um, and there's a local um, uh, author, she used to teach at Fresno State. Uh, she goes by the name Rhonda Gerard. Um, she currently lives in LA because she was um, basically chased out of Fresno for saying some stuff about Barbara Bush a couple years ago. Oh yeah, I, I, I recall that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but she's uh, amazing. I, I've read her books and I think they're amazing. So I think people should support her work as well. I think I, I think I need to talk to her. <laughs> I'm sure she has some stories. She's rad. Like I follow her. I kind of like fangirl. Like I follow her on Instagram, and I just I just think she's amazing. Um, and she's a brilliant writer too. So that's cool. Well, sorry to spring the book question on you. I'm I'm a I'm a super. You know, it's just book. I just live in books, um, and that's kind of what you do when it's hot as hell and there's a pandemic, and you know, like that's that's you know. So some people ask me when I moved to Fresno because we my wife and I relocated here from the LA area and um, you know, I lived in the Bay area too. So I lived in the nicer climates and then I came back. Mm -hmm. like, How do you do it? And I, was, I just compared it to like living in Chicago because in Chicago, you can't go outside for four months and here you can't go outside for four months. Mm -hmm. so it's basically, it's just inverted except for here you can float in a pool too. You know? sure. So that, That's nice. Um, but anyway, thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me today. And, you know, I'm going to share all the different links to the different work that you both are doing in the books. And uh, I appreciate you uh, and the work you do. And I'm sure all the kids that, uh, you know, feel alone, you know, appreciate the work you do so much. And uh, there's nothing worse than being 16 and feeling alone. Um, sure. And so I, uh, I really value uh, your work and I hope the listeners will. Is there, uh, what would you suggest if a listener really feels really inspired to, to get involved? Is there, is there things people can do? Um, yeah, they can contact us on our, um, I mean, all, all, all the social media. Um, so our Instagram, uh, Facebook, or Twitter, we're starting to use a little bit more. Stay tuned for next week's episode. I'm very excited. We're going to be speaking with a local rapper who goes by the name Baker, and he's created a new intro song for this podcast. Everything is about to change, folks. This intro song is so good, you're going to want to play it over and over and over again. All right, until next time.